Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about tabletop role-playing games, tabletop war games, and board games, and occasionally about people trying to chase you down and stab you with a knife or something. Woo! I don't know. I'm not doing the episode this week. It's my co-host. I'm Troy, the main host. My pronouns are he, him, and as always, I'm joined by... And I'm Ed. I'm the slasher that appears in the mirror when you turn around. Uh, my pronouns are they and them, but I will also accept may and hem today. Aha. And today we're talking about slasher horror. Specifically slasher horror in board games and war games and all that sort of good stuff. Tabletop slasher horror. The kind that, you know, doesn't actually kill you with a knife. But yep. before we get into that, let's talk about the weekend hobby. I did very little this last week. I played some board games with friends. Um, we did Cartographers. We did Red Dragon Inn. Uh, both of my D&D games, my normal Eberron campaign games, were canceled because I was working overtime and it sucked and I was too burned out to actually run a game. Boo capitalism. Boo capitalism indeed. Why can't I just sit at home and design D&D games? Um, um, I have done intensification. some... Yeah, yeah, that. Um, I have done some work towards putting together the initial stuff for a Lancer campaign. Uh, that'll probably happen beginning of the year, of the new year, maybe. I don't know. It'll depend on when the Eberron games finish up. Um, I expect us to do an episode about Lancer at some point. Yeah. Get lanced. Get lanced. <laughs> Uh, Ed, what have you been up to this weekend, Hobby? Oh, boy. Uh, D&D game got cancelled due to scheduling shenanigans. One player, uh, was in New York City. And, yeah. So, that made, uh, a schedule change, uh, needed in that case. Uh, let's see. Did some painting for Infinity... I've almost finished my first little squad of robot and post-human dudes. I think I have the color scheme that I want for my army nailed down and should go a lot faster. Um, also, trying to break these guys up into groups of like models. Uh, the Infinity stuff is so detailed and so individually... Uh, customize isn't the word I was looking for. They're all very different, so if you're trying to batch paint with similar colors, it's just going to slow things down because you need to decide what looks at, you know, or what looks like what on what model and all that, and it just takes more thought uh, than you would normally need to put into some kind of army game like that. So, first group is done next group of little post-humans is going to be up next. And at some point, I'll have an entirely finished Infinity group after uh, three years, I think. Maybe longer. Uh, Space Dwarves are done. I can't remember if I talked about that last week. I finished those. They're all done. So, in theory, whenever we get around to playing uh, Stargrave, I will officially be playing a war game for the first time with a fully painted army. Um, I don't think I 
got a game of Frostgrave in with my fully finished guys. That might have been the first Pandemic project that I finished. Um, my Space Marines back in the day were like 85% finished. I had a couple of guys that were like in the process of being converted and didn't get finished painted. And then my Dark Elves from that same era, I had, I think, one and a half units that were not entirely finished. So it only took me 20 years to finish an entire group of guys for a game and get them on the table. Hooray! And then played a couple of board games. Uh, played Valor and Victory, which originally was a print-and-play game that was made to be used with advanced squad leader pieces, and it somewhat recently got a digital release, and it really is just a stripped-down version of advanced squad leader. Um, they take out a lot of the psychology elements, so your guys no longer break and run. They just kind of stand there until they get killed. Um, support weapons have been simplified, so really all they do is just kind of give you extra bonuses. Uh, vehicles are simplified, which is nice because vehicles are probably one of the more obnoxious aspects of ASL. Uh, it's pretty good. It scratches that itch because it just literally copies and pastes a lot of elements from that, but it plays a lot faster. Um, I think most of the games I played were done in under 30 minutes. Uh, it also has a scenario randomizer, which is nice, and it will just generate a random scenario and a random map for you. And only real criticism is that the AI is kind of stupid, but AI programming is hard, so I assume that the game probably plays a bit different against an actual human opponent. Um, yeah, the AI, it just tends to kind of run to wherever you have the most guys. Uh, the last game that I played, I had to hold up, hold a set of buildings against the Germans, and there was a big road that went through these sets of buildings, and there was one large building on the east of the map, and then the other three were kind of spread out along the road. And so these other three buildings were relatively isolated and had a lot of open ground that you would have to get, get across if you were trying to, like, retreat or reinforce them. And my idea was just hold off the Germans at the big building because it had the best defense and it would be the easiest place to stop them, and I could try and kind of pin them on the road so they couldn't move around. And it, they just literally just piled all outside that building and just kept shooting at it instead of, you know, trying to flank or go around, which would have been the obvious solution. So, AI, not super smart. Well, I mean, maybe the AI was imitating a Russian commander. Yeah, Russian commanders cosplaying as Germans. Something I, like that. Have you looked at the current situation in Ukraine? <laughs> Oof. <laughs> Literal shots fired. Yeah. And then playing more Blood Bowl, uh, still getting my ass kicked, uh, but slowly getting better. I did win a game against the Ogre team, who are tied or slightly in the lead for worst team in the game. Uh, they still did score one touchdown, though, because... Uh, 
a snotling grabbed the ball and just made a run for it. And they're really hard to uh, catch because they can just avoid tackle zones because they're so small. They just run straight through the legs of your guys. Uh, did have one one game against Lizard Men where I think it was on the second to last turn, and they had they had one point. I had nothing. I had the ball because the uh, Lizard Men dropped it, picked up the ball, and I figured, okay, well, the Witch Elf she's not going to be able to hold the ball very long, and you know it's that's going to be the game. Uh, Lizard Man comes makes a play for the ball just gets owned by the witch elf and i was like oh snap the witch elf she has a clear uh a clear path out towards the end zone where there is another runner waiting to grab the ball and run it in and i can at least tie up the game and not lose a bunch of points for losing so witch elf she makes it there it's a two plus to catch the ball for the receiver who's literally standing right next to her and I roll a one and that was the game. And I'm, I was, I was so pissed off <laughs> even more so because when I was building the team, I had forgotten to buy re-rolls because I just ended up buying a bunch of players and forgotten that when you build a team, you need to buy all of your extra shenanigans using the same pot of cash so I had no re-rolls through the whole game, which was annoying, but it's like if I had just had one re-roll, I would have at least tied up the game, but I didn't because I was a jerk and didn't buy any re-rolls. That's a rookie mistake there. Yep. So, uh, yeah, always buy re-rolls and stay away from ogres. Yeah. Ogre, I, ogre players, uh, they will literally just knock down anybody that stands next to them. So I'm like, I'm just going to retreat and hope that as they run the ball up the field, that they're just going to trip and drop it. Because I don't, I don't want to have anybody standing next to ogres and risk getting hurt. Yeah, because when you stand next to them, that's when you know it's all ogre. Yep. So, so that that's been pretty much the, my week. The weekend hobby, 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 hobby. So, let's break it into slashers. As many people know, slashers are a type of horror movie villain. Yep. That, 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 that's all I've got. I didn't do the research for this episode. Oh, man. <laughs> We're screwed. <laughs> Game over, man. Game over. <laughs> Take it away. <laughs> oh, boy. This is what my expensive filmmaking degree has gotten me. Uh a roundabout way of talking about movies on a podcast about board games. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, uh, first we have to ask, what is Slasher? <laughs> yep, that's one part of it. Uh, Slasher is a genre of horror movies, uh, obviously, since we are in the middle of October doing everything horror-related. I believe uh, it's called Spooktober? Yep, Spooktober. Slasher movies for Spooktober. Uh, it's a, a genre that involves a usually human killer uh, that's stalking killing a group of people, normally teenagers. Um, and it has a specific focus on visceral, like, hand-to-hand -hand violence using some kind of bladed or otherwise unpleasant hand weapon. And uh, 
the overall aesthetic intends it to the violence to be very painful and or brutal um compared to other horror movies uh the killer or killers in a slasher movie is usually human uh even though their motives are vague alien arbitrary generally chaotic evil as opposed to some kind of other monster that's hunting and or killing out of like fear hunger instinct or something like that uh the alien kills because that's why the alien kills uh leatherface kills for reasons that for me is what differentiates a slasher from other types of movie monsters but they there's a lot of genre blending like you know is chucky from child's play is he a monster because he's a possessed doll or is he a slasher because he's a human who was had his soul put into the doll i don't know but for our purposes today i'm sticking with uh the conventional trope of movie slashers they're human or human adjacent perhaps yeah human adjacent there we go because um, isn't the the one I don't I don't know slasher movies very well. Isn't there one that's like comes from dreams? Uh, yeah, Something Freddy like Krueger. Yeah, I didn't know. If... I don't know these people. I don't watch these movies. <laughs> well, get ready for a history lesson because where does slasher come from? <laughs> uh, dreams, knives, uh, uh, the town of Slash in West Virginia. I'm sorry, but the answer you were looking for is Italy. Oh, that's also acceptable. Yeah, so slasher movies uh, originated in post-war Italian neorealism film. Uh, If you haven't seen Italian neorealism movies, you probably should. They're good. They're very influential on modern cinema. And there's a movie called The Girl Who Knew Too Much from 1963, Uh, That was considered the first giallo film, which is another Italian subgenre. They were like murder mystery thrillers that at the time were considered transgressive because they had what for the 60s was considered graphic violence, almost always against women, boo, misogyny. Um, And the killers were usually some kind of outsider, uh, boo for otherism. And that added to the unknowableness or the mystery of the character. So the killer was usually like a drifter or a tourist or some kind of deviant. Um, yeah, they're they're not always the most progressive of movies, is my general drift there. <clears throat> uh, so that style of filmmaking eventually got picked up by the Americans, Um in the 70s and into the 80s was kind of the height of modern slasher movies. They were easy to film and produce, and with the drive-in grindhouse era, movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Toolbox Murders, Halloween, Prom Night, all that, got really popular. Um, But because they were so easy to make, I mean, we literally made one at summer camp for a budget of zero dollars. Um... They started to follow a lot of unwritten rules and a lot, uh, a lot of tropes. So you get like splitting the party, illogical decisions, 
uh, getting killed if you have sex, false jump scares, followed by a real jump scare, uh, and then you get the virgin final girl who eventually tries to kill the, the monster at the end of the movie. Um, by the late 80s, early 90s, a lot of this had developed into self-parody. Um, Freddy Krueger, in particular, became kind of the template for the wisecracking slasher movie villain because he i don't know in the first movie he really he wasn't all talks. that scary yeah he actually talks a lot of the slasher movie villains don't talk and so they had to give him some kind of personality other than just being a pervy creep like in the original movies so he turns into kind of a, a wisecracking villain um and then eventually you get scream in the 90s which is just a full-on parody um and after that they kind of die down as other uh, it's, genres take over. Scream is one of those instances where a parody effectively kills an entire genre of movies. Yeah, which, I the mean... Other, the other big and important example is uh, Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Which killed the Western genre pretty dead. Which, I mean, as far as, like, the, the death of your genre goes... I would rather have the genre go out with a bang than just to fade into obscurity because both Blazing Saddles and Scream are good movies in their own right in addition to being parodies of the genres that they are. Yes. Um, <laughs> waiting to see when we get one for superhero movies. Oh. Um, like, so far there has yeah. not been anything that reaches that level yet. And it's no. going to be interesting because you need one. I mean, maybe She-Hulk is starting to kind of trend in that direction, but I don't really trust Marvel to actually stick with anything interesting in that regard. It has it's going to have to come from outside. Not, yeah, it can't be made by the people who are making all of the current ones. It has to be... Alright, Jordan Peele, if you're listening, make a superhero movie. Honestly... You're the director uh, who has the, the, the like cred and the ability to do it yeah if anybody was gonna do it it would probably be him he he's the only independent director i can think of right now who could make a movie that has enough cultural impact to derail superhero films yep yeah so uh get on that yeah derailing superhero films maybe from an artistic standpoint could be a good thing but i would also be sad to see them go but it that's a 20 year ride that's a long time to go yeah also uh, yeah we need to derail superhero films so we can get back to what i want to watch which is science fiction films that aren't full of superheroes <laughs> i mean i like I, I i like guardians of the galaxy but also can we focus on the science fiction and less and and not have every single thing just be found family no, it's it's going to be found family and musical references from the seventies and eighties. <laughs> at least at least found family is is a good uh, a good theme. It it's a reasonable theme. It's certainly better than the themes of like old action movies, but I'm a little worn out by it. I think maybe like, maybe. Uh, uh, Fast and the Furious was the the death knell of the fan found family trope with all the all the memes. Yeah, 
they're still making more of them, though. <laughs> Jordan Peele, make a Fast and the Furious, please. <laughs> I, Fast and the Furious is immune from parody because it's already self-parodying, and that's not stopping it. They went to space! <laughs> They launched their cars into space, <laughs> and nobody blinked an eye. See, and this is how we get the Gaslands movie. Alright, okay, keep making Fast and the Furious films. Ne ignore everything I just said. <laughs> Mars is a lie. Um, they, they need... <sighs> Hire George Miller to direct the next Fast and Furious film. George Miller and uh, Jordan Peele team up. For Gaslands, the movie. Gaslands, I mean... Bam. Mad Max Fury Road is Gaslands, the movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> we don't need Gaslands, the movie. We had a whole series of Gaslands, the movies. Then we just need more. Yeah, so, I mean, they're making a Furiosa movie, last I heard, so... Oh, um, yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. We're going to have Gaslands, the movie, the more movie. <laughs> so, yes, much like uh, superhero movies... Uh, Slasher movies suffered from oversaturation and audience burnout with multiple crappy sequels that just keep the gravy train rolling because you have weirdos like me who will just watch a movie because it is a horror movie and uh, have easily pleased tastes. I don't know. Uh, but eventually these characters became pop culture icons in their own right. So even if you're... Uh, somebody who isn't into horror movies, if I showed you pictures, you could probably identify Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, Ghostface, Michael Myers, etc. Yeah, so, I know who Michael Myers is. The, the funny guy or the stabby guy? Which one? The funny one. <laughs> so yeah, um, now that slashers are starting to regain some pop culture popularity, uh, both, I think, because of nostalgia for the 80s and 90s and uh, the changes that are happening in cinema with the rise of streaming, slashers are starting to come back. And so they've also started to come back into board games. Apparently, there's also a weird political dimension to slashers that has to do with like conservatism and reactionary politics uh but at that point i'm getting way way too out of left field for our show here hey we're pretty far into the left field <laughs> that is true <laughs> leftist slasher only comes for nazis shows up slashes your healthcare bills leaves <laughs> Honestly, that would be the movie that drives the right wing absolutely insane. Like that one that I think they got it shit canned before it even got distributed where it was. Uh, I think it was like liberal elites were like hunting people on an island or something like that. And for some reason, the right wing had an absolute shit fit over it. And the studio just they were like, no, we're not going to release this movie. And I'm like, that's literally the conspiracy theory that they're saying is happening. Why are you not releasing it? I don't know. Who knows? I mean, I find the right wing, yeah, we'll make our own movie stuff to be endlessly hilarious, especially because, well, like was in the news this last week, the attempt to make a dumb as fuck right wing superhero movie uh, ended I've... when the people who, like, were getting the funding together ran with the money. 
go crypto scammers. The only time I will say that. Yeah, I mean, it's all a grift for them, so sure. ABG always be grifting. Yeah. Tokyo grift. <laughs> NFT Tokyo grift. <laughs> yeah. But streaming. Yep. So yeah, streaming and changes in artistic uh, art have led slashers to become more of a thing uh, in the last couple years. So uh, we're starting to see slashers come back as board game themes, which is nice because of all the horror themes that you could incorporate into a board game, uh, slashers are the ones that make the fewest appearances. There's a lot of monsters, a lot of aliens, a lot of zombies, <clears throat> not so many slashers. And it's a genre that seems ripe for uh right for the picking because you have a lot of things you could do like hidden identity uh all versus one one versus many player versus environment um there's rpg elements that you could work in there and i'm not going to talk about that for reasons that will become apparent later but slashers are interesting because they are highly asymmetric yeah it's asymmetrical and very interpersonal because, you know, stabbing somebody to death with a knife, that's a that's a very personal act. You should dress nicely. It's an important day for that person. Yes, definitely don't just wear a jumpsuit and a Halloween mask that you spray painted white. Yep. So, uh, the earliest one that I have on this list here, and I would consider it a slasher, maybe crossing over with the monster genre is uh fury of dracula it's an all versus one one player is dracula uh the other players are characters from the dracula novel uh van helsing uh he's the only one that i can remember off the top of my head and basically dracula just needs to survive and run out the clock while the players have to find dracula and then kill him uh yes. this this one, it seems pretty popular. Uh, it's had several editions at this point. I um, played the second edition, I think. I think they're up to fourth now. Maybe third then. It was a few years ago. <laughs> so yeah, you could you could consider Dracula like an early, early kind of slasher character. I don't know. That's that's a bit far back, maybe, but it was one that stuck out to me when I was looking. For games it, it does fit the genre. asymmetrical one v all sort of move yeah um, it doesn't have the same like the same power dynamic that is usually in the slasher genre of the all-powerful killer versus the victims who have no agency and no power over the situation because if you're hunting dracula obviously you're you know how to hunt dracula's so the power dynamic is a little bit different than what you would find in a slasher, but it has that that asymmetrical, you know, all versus one mentality to it. Yes, and it, from my experience playing it, Dracula can take out or severely damage a hunter if Dracula gets the drop on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, normally, normally slashers don't need to get a drop on their victim. They just show up and the victim dies. Yep. 
So next one I have here, uh, this one is a deck building slash resource management game called The Bloody Inn. Uh, it was made in 2015, and this one, uh, you take the point of view of the slasher. Uh, you and the other players are murderous 19th century innkeepers, basically running a grift to see who can get the most money off of unsuspecting peasants and travelers that visit your inn. Uh, you can try, you know, like bribing them or intimidating them or just outright killing them. And then you have to hide the bodies, uh, enlist others to help you hide the bodies and then convince them to stay quiet. And if they don't stay quiet, then just kill them. And it's, you know, the cycle continues, continues, uh, on and on. Um, and then at the end, whoever has made the most money from their victims is the winner. Yeah. Um, this was one of the only ones that I could find that really takes the point of view of the person doing the killing. Um, a majority of them, the killer is either one player out of a group or is just an AI mechanic, whereas this one, all the players are actively involved in the murder and trying to get some kind of benefit from it. Um, this one, it's one that I definitely want to add to my collection. Um, it also has a really interesting art style that reminds me of a blend of Disco Elysium and uh, Eric Carle's illustrations from The Very Hungry Caterpillar. <laughs> okay, that's a... Um, that's certainly a, a choice. Yeah. Um, whenever you get a chance, look up The Bloody Inn. It has a, it has a really cool art style. Um, I guess, again, technically not the same kind of slasher genre we're talking about. It's more of like a Sweeney Todd type thing, but what is Sweeney Todd but slasher from a different point of view? So, I count it. Yeah. I mean, really, Jack the Ripper is the OG slasher. True. So, thanks, Victorians. Now we need to have a now we need to have a debate of what constitutes slasher versus ripper. Um Um I think a ripper takes chunks of their victims. Yeah, that works. And slashers just kill them. There's some other podcasts that I listen to where they they probably would legitimately have this debate and have ideas as to what the two terms actually constitute. Yeah, that's a thing that we would have to do research on, and we don't do research. Aside well, from we, the fact we, we that... We do research, but not well, about I guess, that sort of thing. I guess you could debate, are... Rippers are real, because people really call, call serial killers rippers in some instances. I've never heard of... I haven't heard of many serial killers referred to as slashers. And real people generally uh, aren't immune to bullets or death or, you know, the other tropes that we associate with slashers. Yes. <laughs> um, I am suddenly reminded of that bit from uh, Hot Fuzz. I'm a slasher <laughs> of prices. <laughs> so that that is a, a many... A many versus one, or I guess two, uh, slasher point of view. Yeah, we're, we're treading heavy into movies with this one, because that's where the genre started. So I guess the, the first one that I have here on this list that you could call, like, proper slasher, uh, it's a game called Nyctophobia. It was made in 2018, and it's about 
uh, escaping from a slasher in the woods, but it's dark, so you can't see, literally. Um, the game, Catherine Stipple, uh, she has some family members who are visually impaired and can't play traditional board games that rely on sight and reading. So she designed this game as to be an entirely uh, tactile event that she could play with uh, her relatives. And so the idea is that you have basically a maze that is made up of these little uh, pieces that are vaguely shaped like trees and they fit into tracks in the board. And then the board has uh, little notches where the character pawns go. And each pawn has a distinct shape so that the players will be able to recognize, you know, this is me versus this is not me. Um, and they're trying to escape the maze and get back to the car that is at one end of the board. And the players who are the victims, they wear uh, blackout glasses so that they can't see and they can only feel the board. You can only feel the trees that are on either side of you so you can't go... Uh, beyond those walls, but you can, if you have open sides next to your pawn, you can feel like up to two spaces out to see like which direction you want to go. And so you're trying to create a mental map of the area around you to try and figure out how to get out. Um, and then there is another character who is kind of a hybrid of a game master and a semi-AI slasher character who is the the axe-wielding maniac trying to kill the other players um, because they're the only one uh, in the game that can see. Uh, they have to kind of help guide players and help correct if they make mistakes. So if they, uh, you know, say they get a cardinal direction wrong, they'll say, like, no, you're actually, you know, you're, your finger is pointing north on this particular board. Um which I guess helps just streamline gameplay and helps it de from devolving into a hideous mess of nobody knowing what they're doing, but it seems like it'd be more thematic to somebody think they're going north when they're in fact going south. And then because they're the only player who can see, um, you just can't have their character just run around willy-nilly on the board to kill everyone because that's not a game. Um, there's a semi-AI deck that controls elements of how the, how the slasher will move and then what information they can tell the other players, such as tell them, you know, like one thing that is true and then one thing that is a lie to try and kind of foil their escape. So they're basically a GM because they're trying to facilitate the game, but also to an extent hinder the progress of the other players. Um, yeah, this one you can find at Target. Uh, it's pretty common. Um, it's got kind of mid-level reviews, but I think for me the thing that is most interesting is that it uses tactile sensation as the primary method of information transfer, which, as far as I can think, I have not seen any other games that really use tactile sensations for information. I don't know if you have any that you can think of that do something similar. Uh, at least nothing, nothing on my shelf. Nothing comes to mind um, that is tactile specific rather than tactile plus visual. 
Um, yeah, it definitely gets into territory that I have not seen before. There's I've seen some that are like heavy on the visual component where there's a light source that you have to like move through the shadows and stuff. But this one that is entirely tactile and using, you know, blackout glasses and stuff is a unique design. Yeah. Um, There was a similar game that I saw, I think it was on Kickstarter, uh, probably back in like 2012, 2013, long time ago. Um, But it was kind of a similar idea, except it was uh, players were delving into a dungeon and trying to escape like a vampire or somebody who had owned the dungeon. And the main gimmick was that the player who had... The player who was the monster had a, a night vision eyepiece and could see everything. And then the characters who were moving through the board, um, when your piece was on the board, it would illuminate a little LED that would sh- uh, shine a small amount of light on either side so that you could see where that you're where you're going. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this works better because that's just an overly complicated setup, but... Yes, and what happens when you run out of batteries in any of those parts, or, yeah. Yeah. Or it breaks, then your game is done. Yep. So, yeah, that idea of having tactile sensation for information, that's an interesting sensory scape that I think could be explored in other ways with games, but I'm not a game designer, so I don't have to think of a solution right now. At least not, not a game designer yet. Maybe someday. And then one, the last one I have here on the list is the only proper miniatures game uh, out there that I guess we define as a miniatures game. A lot of other slasher-themed board games use, you know, miniatures because miniatures are in vogue for your board games right now. And uh, this is Don't Look Back. Uh, yeah, the, the basic rule is if it uses a board and miniatures, it's a board game. If it uses a map and miniatures, it's a miniatures game. Yep. So this one's actually a proper miniatures game. Um, this one is player versus environment, where the slasher character is entirely AI controlled, and the people playing the game are trying to escape and or maybe kill the slasher, but you can never really kill slashers, so why would you try? Unless you think you're the the big strong jock who's going to take him down and then just gets a meat hook through the face. Um, So this one goes all in on campiness and slasher movie tropes. It is, you know, it is to miniatures gaming what Scream is to slasher movies. So you get a lot of stereotypical characters. You get nerds, cheerleaders, jocks, um, adults who... Yep, the sheriff or other uh, adult who means well and shows up to help, and then just as they're about to potentially be saved, uh, a machete erupts from their chest out of nowhere. Um, let's see. Also has a lot of interesting themed slashers, so it's not just, you know, hey, there's this generic movie villain slasher running around the board. Uh, they have different types. There's my favorite, which is uh, Normal Slasher, who has, like, no supernatural abilities and is just a guy with a knife. Um, 
there are others that are more supernatural like jason they have like superhuman strength and they're unknowable um there's another one that i think is supposed to be uh like a uh, kayako from the grudge uh who's like ghosty and can contort into weird positions and move in weird ways i probably should have refreshed my memory on what the different types were um but another thing i like a lot that I like about don't look back is that you can also randomly generate a slasher with just dice rolls that will come up with various traits from the game, which I think is pretty cool. Um, overall the game is very open-ended. It's a lightweight beer and pretzels type of miniatures game, but it has a lot of potential for customization and homebrew rules. And the system is easy enough to design for that. There is just a, ton of official content out there for it it seems like i've never like until i started seeing the ads and actually looked for it on like youtube i never seen anybody ever mention this game before but they just keep cranking out products for it i like the fact that they just came out with a alien uh expansion for it that's like little gray men nice like alien abduction movie style yes i'm down for Um, that yeah, so yeah, I think I meant I think I mentioned it before. There's uh, there's a whole lot of miniatures that you can get from the company that are uh, legally resembling, but the or that are resembling but legally distinct from uh, various movie monsters. So you can kind of do whatever kind of slasher movie fiction you want to do with this game. Um, and if you want to do Scooby Doo, there's uh, Scooby Doo adjacent lookalikes that you can get as STLs to 3D print, and then uh, I don't know, you could probably homebrew some kind of rules where the slasher is actually Old Man Jenkins from down the road and maybe there's some kind of goofy... You would have gotten away with it too (laughs) if it wasn't for you meddling kids! And and maybe there's some kind of goofy homebrew rule where uh, you can do that door gag that they do where everybody's running through different doors and they come out in different combinations of characters, I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. I will say I do like that the expansions for it come in VHS boxes. Yeah, that... Nice bit of packaging. Yeah, the stuff that I've been working on now, like, the the quality of it, it's, it's about what to be expected of a small independent company like that, but, like, the, the major criticism I have is that it come, the game comes in a little VHS cassette box but it is not big enough to hold all the pieces. And I'm like, why did you not use a full-size cassette box? Because that would have held all the pieces. And I'm not talking about, like, the miniatures, but, like, the dice and the ruler and all the tokens and all that. The ruler doesn't fit in the box. I would guess, as someone in sort of design production element, line of work that they were unable to get uh, large size VHS cases cheaply and on a regular basis. Um, yeah, that's people probably, probably don't make them anymore. Yeah. Um, so the smaller side ones, they could probably get produced for a reasonable cost and, you know, in a reasonable quantity. Whereas the large size ones probably would have been like $10 a pop. Yeah. 
which would substantially make would have made the game a lot more expensive. Yeah, and I mean, I have seen this happen with other products. Honestly, that's a, a minor complaint. You know, if you if you get like a, a measuring tool uh, that's maybe half the size that I've seen people use for like 40k tournaments and stuff to have like a smaller, more easily transported movement template or whatnot, you can just throw that in there and that's fine. But I was disappointed that the uh, the meat cleaver looking ruler doesn't fit in the box but it's a good aesthetic of you know just having all your various expansions on the shelf like an old timey vhs collection is pretty cool so aside from uh the bloody inn i think don't look back is the one that i am most interested in just because there's a lot of there's a lot of things you could do with it i am very pro open-ended homebrew miniatures games because I like to just throw shit on the table and see what it does. So, there will probably be a lot more uh, miniature horror monsters in my future. I have at least a couple that would probably make good uh, good characters. I have one, a, a knockoff model of Lady Demetresque from Resident Evil 8 uh, that'll work well. Just need uh, some creepy castle terrain. Um... I've got a ton of monsters just for various fantasy things. Those will all work. Uh, I think to get the game properly going, though, I'm going to need to put in some work on uh, getting some terrain going because really all I have is my ancient 40K uh, stuff, which I guess could still work if you have a bunch of, like, hapless guardsmen being stalked by, like, a Chaos Space Marine or something like that. That could still work. That would work pretty well. Um, I've got a bunch of, like, foresty terrain, but it's all slightly snowy. Yeah. Because hey, it man. was set up for Frostgrave. Snowy serial killers, that works. Yeah. It's just unusual, but yeah, it's a, it takes place in the winter. It's now a Scandinavian-themed horror slasher movie. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we we got to go get to the sauna before the monster. And then we'll, eat, and then we'll have the, the pickled herring. So yeah, I think that list kind of covers like each category of game that we tend to talk about. So you know, you got a you got a board game, you got a card game, a uh, mini game, and then I guess Nyctophobia you consider a board game. Yeah, it has a board. You just put your hands on it a lot. A very uh, touchy feely board. Yeah, there's there's several others that I found, but I I don't have time to look into every single one that I find, but. A uh, couple of standouts. There's Final Girl, uh, Camp Grizzly, Horror Clicks, uh, which I did play for a while back in college. Um, I Good luck if you're trying to find it. Uh, Psycho Killer, and then Mixtape Massacre is another one that just came out recently uh, via Kickstarter that has a very neon 80s aesthetic. Um, I think in mixtape massacre as well as horror clicks that's one where you are playing as the killer and you're also trying to kill the other killer freddy versus jason style um which is fun uh hero clicks was good good while it lasted um but i'm sure with the increased popularity of slashers we're gonna see this genre or trope show up more and more 
I think an interesting concept might be one where each player has a serial killer and or each player has a slasher and a group of sort of generic survivors. That could be interesting. And the concept is to kill the other player's survivors. Kill the other player's survivors while protecting your own. Yes, while protecting your own. Um, but but generally speaking, all of the killer's action... You, you could set up your killer's actions to, to have various things, but stuff like killing people to power them up would incentivize you to maybe kill some of your own people in order to get stronger so that you can easily better, you know fight the opponent that is interesting you could I think also, there's some you could work in like a really there. you could work in like a really good like cult theme in there um there's a there's a game called uh uh cult of the lamb that came out i have recently. seen that yes yeah that's the that's the vibe that it gives me where you have to build up your cult and your cult villagers in order to fight the elder gods, uh, but at the same time, you can also sacrifice and manipulate uh, your cult members for your own gain. Yes, because it is still a cult. Yep. Yeah, I like that one. That that's going on the list of hypothetical board games that exist in the future. Which, according to a recent podcast I listened to on games design, uh, <laughs> a list of games is worth nothing. <laughs> this is accurate yes a list of uncreated games is not worth anything yep um, someday and our list has gotten very very long someday when work calms down and i'm not having to deal with school we'll actually get some of these ideas rolling yeah, so, yeah that's that's slashers and uh be careful and don't look behind you right now because that's where i said I don't <laughs> Um, so we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, where we talk about a board game that we like or have played or think about. Ed, do you have one for this week? Uh, I did not. <laughs> uh, did I just I... Ro did I roll a one on this pass? Fumbled. Well, I'm going to talk about Parks by Keymaster Games. I haven't played it yet, but I want to. Um, I also saw that it was available at Target, of all places, so it is easy, easy to get. Um, generally speaking, it's about going to the U.S. National Parks and hiking different trails and getting the most points for hiking trails. So clearly this is a board game that like fits what I like to do. Um, it is absolutely gorgeous art because it's based off of um, a series of National Parks prints that came out a few years ago. It's beautiful, and the National Parks are great. So, yeah. Uh, you hike through them, you collect resources, you do things in different seasons, um, and you get the like stuff, and at the end of the game, you win by... Um, getting the most points by visiting national parks. Also by having visited national parks. Um, it's got some neat little tokens. It's got a kind of funky, like, it, it's shaped like a log is the holder for the various tokens. Which is kind of cool. Um, I think it's an interesting game. I think it's pretty and is worth getting and is probably... 
easy enough to play. Um, it, it's something that, like I said, you can find it at Target. So it's not exactly a hard-to-find game. And it re looks really nice. There's also a YouTube video on playing it that is narrated by a raccoon puppet, I believe. Nice. Well, you're, you're in luck. We have the Kickstarter edition. I got it for my wife for Christmas one year based solely on the art style because she liked the art. So whenever we can do board game stuff within six feet of each other again, uh, we'll have to break that one out. I mean, I might have to get a copy of it as well. Yeah, true, because you'll, you'll probably get... Uh, You'll probably get to that faster than we will. Yeah, my other board game group would probably play it. I mean, it is, what, one to five players? So that's within that group size. Yeah. So I'm going to get a copy, and I encourage other people to get copies as well. Also to go hiking at national parks, because, you know, that's just cool. Do that. Um, our national park in Oregon is not close to where we live, so getting to it's a pain... Um, but Crater Lake is awesome, and I recommend it if you are in Oregon. I drove past it once, going to a going to a job site, and I was like, "Hmm, can I take a detour and take the long way around and drive around the lake and still get there in a reasonable amount of time?" The answer is no. Yep, that was the conclusion I came to. Um, that being said, you should go visit it. If, if, have you ever been? Uh, been a couple of times. Last okay. time was probably like in elementary school, so it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while for me as well, but I really should go again. Um, last national park I went to was... Oh, uh... The, the one in, um, Virginia with the mountain. Smoky Mountain. I have it. I have, I have a poster on my wall listing all of them, and I can't remember. The... National Park, I... Um, Shenandoah. Hmm. I went to Shenandoah National Park last year. I think the last yeah. one that I went to was Yellowstone, and that was it, almost a decade ago. Yeah, I almost went to uh, Lassen this year, but stuff came up. Boo stuff. Boo. Boo stuff. Yay, volcanoes. Yay. And also, that's the end of Board Game Corner. Woo! As always, thank you for listening. Like and subscribe. Rate us. Follow us on Twitter at Knoll Country or Instagram, Knoll Country. Uh, support charities that are good. Uh, join a union. Do the things Ed's about to tell you to do. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Animadness. I finally got around to posting beauty shots of my Game of Thrones uh, miniature stuff, so you can see that there. Uh, you can also uh, train derailing. Support your local queer charities, uh, your local mutual aid groups, reproductive justice funds, donate to the Ukrainian and Armenian Red Crosses, um uh fuck the russian government in particular don't talk to the cops uh general leftist platitudes that's all i got go Knowles. go Knowles. <laughs>